Hey, my friends, you are listening to the Just Shoot Me podcast featuring Jason and Tanya, where we talk about all things video and content creation. With selected guests in the industry, we hope to educate, entertain, and inspire everyone to help you be a better version of yourself. So without further ado, let's get it. All right, Just Shoot Me listeners, welcome back to our channel. My name is Jason. My name is Tanya. And this is where we talk all things content creation, videography, a little bit of photography, and all those kind of things. And yeah. We got a special interesting, guest today. Yes, I'm keen to have him on because uh, <laughs> do a lot of work for him. He's the boss man, <laughs> Scotty. How are you, mate? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. That's um, good. I sort of said to you before we started recording. I'm actually uh, reasonably nervous. <laughs> so Which I, you're, you're not a nervous person. I'm not a nervous person, mate. Um, <laughs> but that's joking. because I'm on the other side yes. of the camera. When the camera's yep. pointed away from me, that's it. I'm full of confidence. Yep. But much like. Anyone we ever interview, as soon as the camera is turned on to me, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sweats are <laughs> Literally like the other day with that guy yeah. at real estate. Mate, what do I do with up. my hands? Like, I just, <laughs> They're just coming oh. up. I don't know why. Um, just a bit of a quick intro. So you're, I mean, we're going to ask the question of what do you call yourself? But we'll, we'll say that later. You're a producer. You're a director. You are a, a, a PR person. You're everything. You wear all the hats and you have your own media company as well. Um, yeah, so we're going to dive into everything about you and your past and how you got into film. You've probably heard some of the stories. So yeah, the stage yeah. is yours. Well, I tell people I'm a coloring in guy. I, tell, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I, I tell people you give me a box of Crayola and I make pretty pictures. <laughs> um, probably not a very good way to explain it. Um, but I've just always liked making stuff. Um, and you know, before coming on your show this morning, I actually spent a bit of time thinking about it and actually, you know, I do a lot of writing, so I wrote something about it too, just to try and unpack it all and go back to where it all began. Um, and where it all began, it was about 1991. Um, yeah, right. I, I wasn't I, even born then. Oh my, were you even born? 93 I am. Oh my God. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little bit older than you guys. Um, I know you can't tell. You know, yeah, it's hard. Um, but, um, my mum and dad had a... Hi 8 Sony Handycam. And I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. So it had the little video cassette in it, if you're familiar with a Hi 8 format. Is Hi 8 same same as Super 8? No. No, no it's not. No, not Super 8. Uh, Super 8 still film, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was still film. Gotcha. So Hi 8 was on a, a very small cassette, right. um, which was, you know, sort of yay by yay. Um, and it was in a very, you know, compact format. Um, and I actually got it working again recently. My dad oh, gave it to me and he's like, oh, it doesn't turn on. And so I just, you know, butchered some plugs and soldered the thing back together and actually made it fire up again. And I'd forgotten that when you look through the eyepiece, it was actually black and white. So it filmed oh. in colour. Um, but, when you know, you're looking through and there's this tiny little viewfinder that would be like less than a centimetre wide. But what I used to do with that was I'd sit there with my toys on, you know, a little set up like this and I'd make stop motion films. Um, and again, like I didn't so good. Yeah. I didn't know anything about <laughs> any of this stuff. I was just like, oh hey, if you like push it for one second and then move the toy and then one second and then you yeah, know and gotcha. you just do that again and again, you can actually make the stuff look like it's moving. And I just thought that was cool because I would have been like eleven, I think, then. And what was super crazy was a couple of months ago mum and dad were cleaning stuff out and they actually found one of my stop motion videos oh. that I made when I was a kid. What? Yeah, yeah. That's and like so I'm back good. watching this thing going, 
That's wow, weird. That's crazy. <laughs> it's it's really weird because you do you, you know. I'm I'm in my forties now, so I've been you know at this for a little while. Um, but you know, you sort of go all the way back to, and you go, why do I even like this? Mm. Because yeah. I don't have to tell you guys, and I've heard you talk about it on your podcast and with other guests. What we do is a questionable life choice. Like, yes, <laughs> it, it is not. Like I have people come and do work experience with me now and I've quite often had, you know, teenagers and they come in with their parents and sit down with me and go, I'm thinking about doing this. And I sort of say to them and their parents, and go, you want to be very sure. Yeah. I, I literally say to them, I say, this is a terrible career choice. Sink or swim. Yeah. yeah. Like, mate, you are going to be broke. You're going to work for nothing. It's very expensive. The barriers to entry are very high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a terrible career choice. Yeah. And I go, if you're cool with that and you still want to do it. Yeah. All in. This is this is for you. <laughs> but and and you know I so, so you know flip that. I think this is a terrible career choice. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> All the way back to why do I even like this? And you know I also used to I had memories as well of um, mum and dad had like a Pentax camera. So again, thirty five millimeter back then. But we were just in the early stages of you know having some automation in them. So you know they'd self wind. It had a little zoom in it, and you know you'd move a trigger, and the zoom would move in and yeah. out. Which again, like as a 11, 12 year old kid, you're like, Ooh. and you know you'd push the button Can't and do that. close you knock itself. You off. Yeah, close itself inside. Well, again, Nokia wasn't a thing. Right? I, th- I think that, that was still making gum boots then. Uh, Did they I, actually? Yeah. They, oh my god! They actually made gum boots. Yeah. Look, look that up. But, you know, I, I was just obsessed with it. And, you know, in the family albums, there's all the photos I'd take when, you know, we'd go and there's photos of me holding onto the camera for dear life, making so sure good. I didn't drop it. And, <laughs> and like, um, my school offered photography, but, you know, my parents sort of said, you know, that's probably not the way you want to go if you want to, you know, get a real job, which was, you know, their <laughs> And what's, what school did you go advice. to? Um, I went to a school here in Brisbane called Churchy. Yep. Because um, it's a pro, it's a pretty high prestige school too, mate. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it, it's a wonderful school, um, and I was very lucky to go there. Um, but I was a pretty bad student. <laughs> so, like you know, you, you'd be familiar with the distribution bell curve, and you know, really smart somewhere in the middle, and then somewhere at the back. <laughs> I, I was, was in the too. yeah, mate. I was in the somewhere at the back crowd. Um, you know, did the you know the. Uh, dumb kid maths, so called, you know, maths in the beer garden was what we called it. Wait, are are you the middle child or young child? I'm the eldest child. The I'm, eldest? I'm, I'm the eldest of three. Ah, we've never had yeah. an eldest child. No, I don't think yeah. so. Just the rat middle, the younger one <laughs> and the elder one. Yeah, yeah. So the eldest. And yeah, and so like they did this photography program and then obviously that was 35 millimeter film, you know, black and white cameras and it was, you know, like what we'd now look at as an old school camera. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just a fully, uh, full manual camera. And I was like, oh, man, you know, they had the labs and you develop your own stuff. And I'm like, oh, I really want to do that. That just looks so cool. For mm. whatever reason, I was drawn to that. And, yeah, nah, that, that, <laughs> didn't, that didn't happen, so that wasn't allowed. Um, but we had film and TV as a subject in grade 11 and 12. Right. What year was this? So grade 11 and 12, so the year what, two uh, senior years. What uh, year as in 19... Oh, 2000. 1996, 1997. Gotcha. So the peak of technology then... Um, was a format called SVHS, which was Super VHS. Right. And so that oh. was very fancy. So well, there's, you know, that? Betamax got, Super you know, VHS. overtaken. Okay. VHS was the dominant format and SVHS was like the production standard. Oh, exactly. So that was the, 
better than the you know poverty bag yeah. stuff. <laughs> better than the blockbuster. Stuff. Better, better than the stuff at blockbuster. <laughs> and with those, you'd have. And again, it all sounds very old school now, but you'd have a, an edit suite and it had your little dials on it. So you'd actually be, you know, your little jog dials and stuff. And that was how I learned to edit was we had these SVHS suites and you'd have two TVs and then two things. And you'd actually line up your in and your out points on one tape and then on the second tape and then you'd push play and record on the other one, and it's basically laying that piece of footage oh, wow. onto the next bit. So, like, you know, I'd spend whole weekends in the edit suite. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, we had this tiny little room at school, and um, the cameras, they, they looked very much like a TV camera, like this big broadcast unit that you'd have on your shoulder. And we'd use that, yeah, to film you know, all of our stuff and we had to do like little TV commercials and short films. And I remember having to do like a film noir, um, which I thought was, you know, really cool there, like 1930s detective style. It's always creative, those ones. Yeah, yeah look, it's super good fun. You know, we found actors and That's locations cool. and scenes and, you know, you're a 16, 17-year-old kid at this stage. Yeah. And I just thought it was the best thing ever. Yeah. Like, this, it, like it was just fun. You just, you know, you made stuff. It was cool. And I'm like, I can't believe that, you know, this is like, work and, you know, it was the only <laughs> subject that I got an A in um, and then at the time so you know you got to put in what you want to do after school um, Queensland College of Art was the only like film degree that existed at the time and Queensland College of Art is what became the Griffith Film School right. oh, Okay. and again back then you had to you know put in um, you had to put in a submission, like you actually had to, you know, apply for it and then you had to, you know, write some stuff and, you know, prove to them that you're a real student of film. Yeah. Was was OP a thing then? Yeah, OP was still a thing. Still there, yeah, yep. So I was an OP 15. Yep. I was, uh, I think they topped it. Uh, yeah, like the worst was 18, so. Okay. <laughs> pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. Um, and, you know, you had to put together your submission, to, you know, your body of work and, I guess I wasn't a classical film student. Um, I, when people go to you, you know, what were you inspired by when you're chatting by them? Like, mate, I was inspired by Bad Boys. So, like, Michael, nice. Michael Bay. Oh, okay. You know, like, that was... Explosions. You know, yeah, mate, the mid-90s, um, you know, Heat and Bad Boys were probably two of the films. No. There's um, the opening scene in Bad Boys where they're shooting from a chopper, they're flying low over the water and it's just absolutely thumping in at this high speed. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, over the ocean. Then it pops up over the Miami skyline. Yeah, like, I still yeah. remember that shot. And, like, that stuff gives me chills. <laughs> and, you know, they had the, the 9-11, yeah, you know, yeah. budget oh, man. Like, so good. that stuff, like those action sequences, the cars, because, you know, I've got a bit, of, yeah. bit of a soft spot for cars and there's a whole other story there. And, like, that was what I liked. You know, I'm yeah. like, that is cool. Whereas what they probably wanted you to write was, you know, man, classical for, <laughs> you know, well, uh, that was probably what was more wanted than, yeah. oh man, I'm totally down with the Bayhem. Um, <laughs> it's probably not what film school was looking for at the time. Um, so yeah, like got rejected from that and I'm like, oh, well, that dream's over. Because again, you've got to remember at that time, that equipment was like, we think gear's expensive now, but like a film camera is 300 grand. Mm. Oh, wow. So 
Like, it's just game over. Yeah. Like, a production camera would be 50 grand. Like, just full game over, you know, as yeah, a 17, 18-year-old. Yeah, you got to work a full year like, and yeah, not yeah, spend like any money. It, you know, there's stuff and, you know, I look around in the room here and there's, you know, the amount of stuff that you've got that, you know, is a couple of grand or under and the things you can do, like... So accessible. Mate, so mm. accessible. And that was the thing. At that point in time, it was not accessible. It didn't exist. Dream is over. Yeah. So went and did other stuff. Um, but, you know, still... I still had that interest in taking photos. And obviously I saw digital cameras coming out and I was 21, so year 2001, and I got a Kodak point-and-shoot digital camera um, and it had nice. one of the earliest CF cards in it and it would hold about 30 images on it. Oh, wow. On that CF card. <laughs> Go on. That CF card was four megabytes. Megabytes, here we go. <laughs> Oh my MB. god, not even gigabytes. No, there, there were no gigabytes then. Um, <laughs> Don't be silly, gigabyte. Yeah, it's a gigabyte. gigabyte. It's like it's a made up number. Dreaming? Nobody can hold that much data. <laughs> um, and, you know, again, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Like, I had this thing that was a camera you could put it straight onto a computer. And, like, I just thought that was amazing. And so, you know, I don't, I don't honestly know what happened to a lot of the photos back then because obviously storage systems weren't great. Yeah. So I'd assume most of those photos died with whatever computer they were offloaded to um, back in the early 2000s. But hilariously, I still have that camera. I'm a bit of a hoarder with my tech. Yes, I'm, you're a bit so, of a hoarder with everything. Yeah, look, I can't help it. I've seen your garage. I, 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 like, I like toys and I like stories. Um, and, yeah, so I've kept this camera. The bloody thing still works. Like, you can still take a photo with it today. Wow. I've, I've sort of got this idea that I'll let my son use it so that he can, you yep. know, just take some basic photos with it. Um, but, you know, that sort of fed that dream for a little bit longer um but it, it was you know over those next couple of years i you know tried a few different jobs and because you know just trying That's to figure out what i was going to do as a yeah. you know in your 20s you're going to try and make some money and do some stuff and what ended up happening was i ended up um sort of talking my way into a like a really junior marketing role so like you know an assistant like bottom of the barrel just helping and yeah. just doing, you know, whatever crap work the marketing manager didn't want to do. Yeah. And I sort of took that opportunity with both hands because I really enjoyed, you know, the making stuff, the writing, the, you know, we had graphic designers and all those sorts of things. And, you know, I did quite well in that and I sort of worked my way up to senior marketing roles. And, and again, to, to apply context to the timing because the timing is really important to a lot of this stuff. Like we were coming into... 2005 2006 so like the very first iphone came out um and i still remember somebody walking into work with the first iphone and going man check this thing out yeah, and wow. like i'm i'm rocking the blackberry because like i'm all about that blackberry <laughs> yeah. life i had one of those hip tops do you remember hip tops oh wow okay those little no. slide up one so like oh. pretty much like a horizontal phone you just like oh i was always just a nokia oh fancy people yeah no, i lost no, it no, black, blackberry yeah um <laughs> And, and, you know, I'd seen this stuff come out and I was working for, you know, quite a large company and I, I saw Facebook coming out and I'm like, how good is this? Because, you know, at that time we would write ads for radio, we would write, you know, we'd make um, ads for papers, we'd do cinema ads, we'd do like just, you know, good old fashioned old school marketing stuff. And one of the biggest challenges you had was tracking your marketing spend and like where stuff came from. Um, even down to the sense that, you know, we'd put different things in different newspapers and you'd put a different phone number on it yeah. so that you could track 
that okay, the money we spent placing that ad because right. you know it's ten grand to put that ad in the Sunday paper, so that ad would have a certain phone number to go through to a certain person so that we could at least try and validate. Yeah. Wow. Where some of it was going, working, but yeah. you know, it was a full blown crapshoot. Like you couldn't. Yeah. When newspapers were actually a thing, mate. They were, <laughs> they, but like that was the thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was newspaper, radio. Like it was all print. It was all press stuff. Yeah. Um, and and very heavily that way. And I saw the digital stuff. And again, being a guy that liked tech, you know, I jumped on and played with it. And I'm like, hey, this is good. There's people here. It's free. And again, back then, you got like massive reach. There were no restrictions. It. So you'd post stuff and mm. go to everybody. Um, we we're also throwing sheep at people, and I don't, I don't know how much you guys remember <laughs> of the early days of Facebook. Oh, um, I, feel, I don't know. I feel like I kind of do, but yeah, I don't the, know. The, the throwing sheep at people. Yeah. People that were there in the earliest days will remember that. Yeah, no, right. no, no. Yeah, I came from was it MySpace before? Yeah. I came from Bebo. 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 All right. Did you ever use Bebo? No, I didn't use Bebo. And mm, see, I was okay. too old for MySpace by that time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was on the old people platform. Because um, uh, there was uh, like School Friend Finder or something came up just before yeah, right. that. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Bomb didn't go anywhere. Um, but, you know, the point being that I sort of went, oh, this Facebook stuff, pretty good. Hey, we can make a business page for this. How cool is this? Yeah. And like the big companies I was working for at the time were like, this is rubbish. This is, you know. Not gonna work. This is stupid. Don't do that. You're just wasting your time. Yeah. I'm like, right, I, and because I don't listen to people, I just do it anyway. <laughs> and I would just do it quietly. Um, and what kept ending up happening was 12 months later, I'd proved to be right. And you know, the thing that I'd built later would then become the benchmark for you know, that company and they're like, oh, look how good this is. I'm like, <laughs> Told you so. Yeah, like the same thing I got in trouble for a year ago. And they're like, well, why are you wasting time on this? And that sort of continued on into some other senior marketing roles where I was working with some pretty big international automotive brands and I looked after a portfolio of brands and this was coming into the late OOs where, again, this stuff was, you know, really kicking off. Twitter started, you know, 09, whatever that was. Was that only 2009? Yeah, it wasn't. Ah. None of this was that long ago. Like, Mm. you know, the dawn of social media. Yeah. And this was the weird thing, was working in a time where it was coming up and working in marketing roles where it was, you know, it's like today where a brand goes, oh, God, should we be on TikTok? I'm not sure. You know, it's it's that exact same conversation. But back yeah. then it was, oh, this Facebook thing, you're just wasting time on the internet. Right, yeah, yeah. It, it was the same conversation. It's every new platform is the yep. same conversation. It's stupid, it won't work, why would you bother doing that? And then three years later, the same business owners are paying somebody to go to a course to go, how to do the TikToks. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, there's huge resistance. And if you look at yep. the, you know, there's studies around human behavior and yep. early adopters and yeah. all this sort of stuff. That's and yeah. these are all the people in the late peak that you're like, oh yeah, this works. <laughs> <laughs> so I kept doing all these things and I kept doing this stuff and this all sort of aligned around I started working with these automotive companies they had race teams and again back then and it all seems so weird when you say this now because like back then was 12 years ago I'm sort of thinking 12 14 years ago they teams would race on the weekend and you wouldn't see photos of that event until Tuesday the week after which again, and I know you guys are heavily involved in all these sorts of things. Yeah. Like, mate, it's to the minute, it's same day, it's and like in twenty ten I had a dongle for my laptop and a little antenna that came out of the dongle and you'd hold it up and try and get some data <laughs> when you're out at a racetrack. And I was like, How good would it be to take a photo, sit there on my laptop, process the photo, put the photo on the internet? Yeah. 
And, you know, and people are like, mate, that's just stupid. <laughs> like, you, you go to Boost Cruising on Tuesday and they'll be there. Oh, like, yeah. Boost Cruising, yeah. Seriously. And, like, this was the, you know, this was the thinking at that time was you just, you didn't see them because, you know, the photographer would come, they would take them, they would do them and then, you know. That's so crazy because the turf games that I recently did, they had the videographers and they, they'd film the heat and then, like, straight after the heat, we want the video up on Instagram for real. Correct. Like, they just would you wouldn't see them. Yep. They'd be gone. And then, like, the next heat they were out and that video was up. Is that why he brought his Mac, Paddy? Think, yeah. His like a lot of desktop yeah, Mac, iMac. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. And, like, a lot of the guys would just, like, they'd take the footage and you wouldn't see them. Because, yeah. obviously, you'd have a break between the heat or there'd be, like, another heat but another videographer. There was certain, like, people filming it and then there'd be people editing it. Holy shit. It was hectic. Yeah. yeah. And this is the stuff that I found astound- like astounding was I was just, like, like, I want this. Yeah. I don't really care what other people want. I don't care if it seems stupid. I think this is cool. Yeah. Like, how cool is it that you could see it the same day? And, you know, to me in 2010, I thought that that was cool. Yeah. And so I started doing that. And, you know, as we <laughs> <Stressful>. now know, <laughs> but that became the norm. Yeah. Because, you know, you'd shoot a few rounds and you'd sit down and you'd do the thing. And, like, it's not that hard. Yeah. Um, but, again, that was considered, yeah, really weird. Mm. Um and, and again, you know, going through that time and shooting all those things and doing, you know, a lot of motorsport work, um, the other thing that happened around that time was the Canon 5D Mark II. That Came camera out. was revolutionary. Groundbreaking. Revolutionary in the sense that it allowed you to shoot video. Yeah. And so, again, remembering that, you know, commercial video gear was still, you know, hideously yeah. expensive you suddenly had this thing for a couple of grand and there were people shooting short films, shooting TV commercials. Like people were really making a song and dance about how amazing it was to have this 5D Mark II that was, you know, it wasn't as good, but it was good enough because you were still working in a compressed codec. You couldn't push the file too much, but compared to the other stuff you get or like, you know, your, uh, your three CCD chips, which were sort of top digital tech at that time, these were, you know, you're going onto a full frame mm-hmm. sensor mm-hmm. and you're getting you know canon color which <laughs> all about that canon oh, color in a, damn it in a, in, a, in a house of sony um but that's all right you know i, I believe that i'm, I'm <laughs> canon, <laughs> canon og yeah. <laughs> sorry you, you no, just you, it had love to be it. done you, I love you've it. just always got to yep. you know <laughs> Sling in those shots. He, he did say some nice things about Canon before, so I'm Mate, stoked. Did I? Having a good day. <laughs> I, you can always tell skin colour. Yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, pink. <laughs> uh, all right, all right, sorry. Um, but yeah, that, that 5D Mark II really allowed you to do stuff that wasn't previously available. And one of my favourite things, I've actually just remembered it, you know, we shot a video in like, I think it was about 2012 of this, you know, it was a thousand horsepower GDR at the time, which, you know, again, a thousand horsepower back then was a lot, still a lot today, let's be honest. Um, But to get, to get a camera moving back then, mate, we didn't have any of these cool things. (laughs) The gimbals. So... We had a jib arm, and again, I don't know if you would have used them at film school, but like ye olde jib arm, oh, where it's a giant yeah, yeah. metal thing. It weighs, you know, 30 kilos. You've got like weights yeah, on it, so yeah. like your big gym-style weights on the tail end. to counterbalance it. So I remember throwing one of those in the back of a car and doing like multi-spot shoots with this massive, you know, yeah. jib arm, trying to get the camera moving. 
And you look back at that and you're like, oh, man, that was so much work. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they were the things that you had to do at that point in time. So Absolutely. you had 5D Mark II on that, um, which is why, you know, when things like the Ronin came out, like I bought one of those in 2015. Revolutionary. I'm like, yeah. holy. Yeah. And you're like, yes. Yeah. Because I took it, um, I was shooting somewhere overseas, can't remember where I went. Um, actually, it was in France. It was at Paul Ricard. And I took the... Um, Ronan over to that circuit and people had never seen anything like it you know and again this is only 2015 it's like a little robot yeah and they'd never seen anything like it and a little remote control like <laughs> <laughs> you know you're there working with these automotive engineers and they're going wow yeah because again none of this stuff yeah none of this stuff existed and you know that was sort of when the the prices really started changing on stuff so you know coming into that you know, 2015-ish, you're getting much better things because uh, 2012 Olympics was actually, I got to use the very first 1DX when I was shooting over, oh. in, over in Malaysia at Formula Drift. Um, Canon was there and they provided, you know, 1DX setup. And it was always the Olympics where Canon would release, you know, their next big batch of technology. And one of the things that they did at that, and I think it was 2012 Olympics thereabouts, they had the cameras having hard lines into them so there were hard lines running all the way around that Olympic setup. The 1DX had a port in it so that within, and I think at the time it was 90 seconds, from the photographer pushing the button, it would run through, go to a post-production house, yeah, right. be post-produced and be uploaded. And that was there, yeah, I think it was 90 seconds from frame to online in 2012 wow. as part of the 1DX rollout. And, you know, I had a 1D Mark II, then a 1D Mark III, and then I was still shooting with a 1D Mark III at that stage, yeah. uh, which I still have today and still <laughs> works. Oh, <I> <laughs> yep. Still works. Um, beautiful look on that camera, actually. Um, but, yeah, that, that 1DX at that time, I just remember shooting with that the first time and just going, man, this thing is like, just off the charts. Um, and that was sort of, you know, those couple of years that, you know, from 5D Mark II to you know, Ronan coming along and then all of a sudden 2015-ish, you know, gear becoming super affordable. Um, that was also the point, and again, if you guys remember this as clearly as I do, but at that point in time, content being loaded to the internet um, was pretty rough, like really rough, because there was still, and look, I'll call it a snobbery, um, in production houses where, you know, we make things for film. It is for the big screen. It is not for the internet, you know. Yeah. The internet is just shit. Yeah. And again, being sort of, you know, I kind of, and I learnt this from shooting motorsport, is if there's lots of people standing around you, go somewhere else. Go and stand where there is nobody. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you will always get your own shot. Yeah. And... It was very much the same thing. And I sort of looked at it and I went, well, hang on. What if you did like really big scale stuff straight for web? And that was what then led a series of decisions to, you know, I'd watch people shoot on Red Epic since, you know, 29. There'd been Red 1, then Red Epic. And I still remember, you know, shooting overseas at Formula Drift and seeing these dudes with these things and just being like, holy... One day, <laughs> one day you have, you know, the almighty because red really changed the game because, you know, Ari was the kingpin, you know, and their cameras, you know, your Alexa and that sort of stuff 
was unachievable. Whereas, you know, the red was, uh, you know, a pretty cowboy. They're like, you know, middle finger to the man. Yeah. You know, we're making the thing, we're doing the thing, we're making it better than anybody else. We don't care what you think, we don't care what you say. Like, we just want to make the best tool possible and get it into the hands of creators. And, you know, I sort of like that vibe because, you know, I'm that sort of guy, you know, I didn't come through the natural path. Um, <laughs> and that was sort of one of the big challenges that I faced was I knew people in the film game. I wasn't really welcome in that place because, you know, I wasn't a film guy. I didn't go through film school. I had no film friends. I had no connections. I didn't know any cinematographers. I didn't know any DPs. I didn't know any producers. Like, I knew nobody. I was just some dude that shot cars and made a few dodgy videos about cars. And, <laughs> you know, and, and that was it. And it was really hard because I wanted to do more but there was just this you know people talk about your glass ceiling and those sorts of things like there was a ceiling to get into the film world and I just really felt unwelcome and you know I'm pretty big on stupid solutions I love and, that yeah my my stupid solution <laughs> was I'm just gonna buy this camera because like I want one that's what the big boys use yeah you know, I don't know how to use it. I don't have the credit. I don't know how to turn it on. I don't know how. Like, I literally, I had no idea. Like, mate, I bought this thing. And, you know, as you'd be aware, they're not, you know, it's not a small investment. And I didn't know how to use it. Because <laughs> it was like, what, 40, 50? Yeah, those sort of numbers. Wow. Yeah, so like, you know, big bickies, like big roll of the dice. And, you know, I've got business partners and I sort of had to say to them, I've got this idea. <laughs> I know this seems really stupid, but. And Get me out. Look, they've, I, and I guess this is the nice thing because I've got two business partners in my company. They have come to appreciate the fact that when I say, you know, I've got this idea, I can see it. Yeah. Nobody else will believe me. Like anybody that thinks logically is like, yeah, mate, you're an idiot. That's the dumbest thing you do. Why would you do that? Whereas they've at least come to appreciate that if I say I, I can see a road forward with this, they're like, yeah, mate, you, you know, we, we believe in you. And, you know, that means a lot because as creators, I'm confident you've had a lot of people say, is this really? Yeah. Is it really? Do you, do you really need another hundred things? Do you need more Do you lenses? really need, need a second camera? Do you need you. And, you know, they, they sort of, you know, supported me in that. And, yeah. you know, my deal was obviously I'll give this everything and try and figure it out. And what I discovered was... Look, by, by owning that camera, it opened the door into a world that didn't previously exist. Um, I got to, you know, you suddenly become, you know, a reasonably important customer through the retail network and, you know, all, all these sorts of things because they go, oh, hang on, you're not mucking around. you. And, you know, it sort of changed the way that what I did and who I was was perceived. But obviously I had no runs on the board. Like, yeah, you know, I had a couple of little film things and a few little things that we'd done and you know um you know the cinematographer that I worked with at the time like he's a mate of mine that I grew up with and you know we were just all figuring it out together um like it, and that's the thing is I sit here and st say this back like it's so dumb <laughs> like it is, it is so dumb um but I just I, I had this picture in my head that if I got a good camera learned how to use it and then shot high grade stuff for web because you know I didn't have a platform like there was no way I was going to get asked to shoot things for 
bigger staff. So I just went, what if I got the best gear I could, made the best looking things I could and made it straight for web? And once again, much like turning things around same day in 2010, people were like, oh, why would you waste all that money? Why are you going to shoot 8K and like put it at 1080p? And I'm like, have you seen what that, like, have you seen what it looks like? And, you know, when you push it down, like there is a look to mm. those cameras. that More crisp. Oh, there, there is a look that I really, you know, that I really enjoy. And the other thing yeah. that I really enjoyed is as, as a stills photographer, because, you know, I've done a, you know, I'm a self-taught um, stills photographer, I'm very comfortable at working, you know, in a raw space. Yeah. So, you know, you sort of, you've got to keep it in the ballpark and make sure you don't clip it and all that sort of stuff. And I understand the math very well around that. That was the thing that really set apart, you know, your Alexas to the Reds was that you were shooting in this R3D codec, which gave you a total raw file. Yeah, right. And to me, Actual raw too. Ge- genuine yeah, raw. Not, not the crappy raws that we have now. Not, not pretend yeah. raw, not, <laughs> because, you know. Because Red has that uh, patent where no oh, one mate. can yeah, And that R3D codec and, you know, Graham Natras, the man who was primarily behind that, like these guys are just top of their game. Like what they do and what they still have now, I'm not sure of a codec that is more impressive. And once you have shot with that, and, you know, you learn how to use it, you know, don't overexpose, don't underexpose. And this is the thing I discovered. I'm like so scared of this camera and I'm like, you know, following all these things and watching YouTube videos and going, oh God, how do you even use it? Mate, it's so easy. Like, yeah. you know, it's got a little traffic light system and it's like, if the lights come on, you're clipping. Yep. If the lights go <laughs> off, you're not clipping. <laughs> Wind. I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, you sort of, you know, you try and expose... You learn what you like and how you like to expose it. But, like, it's so simple. Like, you keep it in between, you know, watch your histogram, keep it in there, and you're like, it's correctly exposed. And then you can push it. And that's what's really cool is, you know, when you take it into Resolve, you take it into other things, and you sort of, you know, you've got this depth to your footage. Because if you've ever pushed around, you know, a baked-in codec... Yeah, limited. Versus a raw codec, and, like, you know, as soon as you start pushing it, you get degradation. Yeah. Um, whereas with this, and, and what's been super amazing is like all the way back to Red 1, which I think was 2007, um, that R3D codec is reverse compatible all the way through. Oh, so right. you can actually take something you shot on a Red 1 and you can match it to the footage you shot oh. today. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, which to me is mind-blowing. Like as a, you know, tech nerd, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> you know, that is... You know, that, that's on another level. And it was all those things that appealed to me about that camera. And, you know, I, I managed to talk my way into, you know, a couple of good jobs um, and managed to talk my way. And this is a really funny time in my career because all of my experience commercially was really motorsport, like yeah. a lot of motor racing. And I went from motor racing into musical theatre. Oh, mm. that's a massive change. How those two align? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it, oddly, I did figure out how those two align. And, it, and I did figure out what I liked about the two. And in, like, top-tier motorsport, um, not dissimilar to, you know, cinematography or anything else where it's an unusual path, to make it into top levels of international motorsport you have to be phenomenally obsessed 
Um, you will probably hurt people around you. You know, you will disappoint family, friends, partners because of the sacrifices you need to make to be there. Mm. Um, like you, you'll do a lot of damage. Um, and I know that because I did a lot of damage. Like I, I hurt people near and dear to me because you have to work, you know, harder than anybody else. And, you know, you are going to be away. You are going to, you know, you, like you're really going to... You give up a lot. Yeah, you, you're really going to hurt people. Yeah. So you can't just waltz into that world. Like you don't just arrive there. Like you are there because there is nothing else in this world that you would rather be doing. And that creates a very special group of people. Like, you know, at top level international motorsport, there are people there that have sacrificed everything to be there because, and mate, I get chills thinking about it. Like there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Like, mate, to be shooting Nürburgring 24 hour, you know, shooting at Spa, you know, like I've worked with Ferrari, I've worked with Aston Martin, I've worked with, you know, some of the biggest manufacturers on the planet. And you are there, you know, racing at that time we were racing like with Ferrari 458 GT3. So like Ferrari's factory race car at, you know, Monza, you know, like mm. in, incredible circuits. And, you know, I've got to go to Yas Marina and I've, you know, I've been to some of the biggest races on the planet and I've shot all these, you know, with top tier teams. And, you know, you've got your Ferrari fold out trucks that, you know, you've got a hundred people dining in there and they've got, you know, the beautiful Italian chefs and Jesus. Like, the, <laughs> like the whole thing is just out of control. Wow. But again, it, it sounds great, but the life is madness. You know, the, the amount of flight time, the amount of travel time, the amount of work, you know, you're trying to combine your work back here in Australia to being in a different time zone, trying to keep things going, trying to not upset your family too much, and then also trying to give everything you've got, you know, to your photojournalism mm -hmm. and your racing. I found that in musical theatre. Right. Okay. That dedication to your craft where nobody is going to wake up and tell you, mm, you should get a job <laughs> acting on stage. I've heard that that's very stable and reliable. What a good way to earn an income. Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly the same. Yeah. It was just people that had a phenomenal burning desire to create. You know, they wanted to be the best musician, the best actor, the best dancer, the best producer. And something really magical happens when you're working with other humans like that, where, you know, they're not critical of you, they're critical of the work. Like, all you want to do is make the highest standard of work that you possibly can. And it has allowed me to do some of the very best work I've ever done in my whole life. Um, because, you know, my joke, I, I shoot things for them now. Like I shoot their TV commercials for, you know, I've shot, I've worked with. Disney. Uh, yeah. Disney, a few other, like, you know. I love Disney. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's actually a really big win when you tell, um, you know. Yeah, the kids. Yeah. You tell yourself, oh, yeah, no, mate, I was with Elsa and Anna on the weekend. <laughs> and they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I got uh, their number. Yeah. And. My joke with all that is all we've got to do is we've just got to remember to like point the camera towards the stage and push record. Like our, our job is quite easy when you have talent at that level because, and you know, look, for example, in a Disney production, like the people who meet the level to work for Disney, because like that Disney do not muck around. Yeah, I imagine. You know, they're, you know, they're, they work at a level that I've never seen and I dig that because it pushes you to be better than your best. 
and you know that is something that I, I really you know makes you sick to your stomach when you're doing the work um, because you know as you guys know if you're doing a big shoot you know mm -hmm. there's months of preparation and it's got to be executed to perfection in a six-hour window and you know you probably need ten or twelve hours to do it properly. And, and there's you know, no redos no, or anything. There's, there's no, no fuck redos. ups. Yeah. No, no. And and you know you are working at your you know beyond your absolute maximum. Um, but you know what that then allows is you know it allows some of the most beautiful work you've ever done in your whole life. And that was what was crazy. It was you know we sort of started out as like a bit of the BTS crew doing the little social pieces and you know shooting really beautiful social stuff. Um, that was where we started in that 2015. So, you know, I had my red camera. Mine hadn't arrived yet because I'd bought the new DSMC2. Um, so red at the time actually gave me a DSMC1. And it was that sort of stuff that I'm like, how awesome are these people? They're like, no, no, no. So they hooked up a camera for me and had the red Epic. And it was, you know, that created one of, interestingly, and I've, I've just thought of this story. I was shooting um, Aladdin, was opening in Australia at the time, and um, the gentleman who is behind Disney Theatrical, who and like Disney Theatrical is a monster, yeah. uh, you know, of a, of a company, um, his name's Thomas Schumacher, and he is a very talented man, and he basically created Disney Theatrical from the ground up, late 90s, early 2000s, and, you know, Lion King, like all of their, yeah. you know, absolutely earth-shattering work is, is him. And, like, as a contractor, you know, our job, you know, do not make eye contact, do not talk to him. Like, he is the big cheese. Yeah. If he engages with you, cool. Otherwise, like, do mate, not you just, just do your job. Do your job. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, these people are, you know, busy people. And what ended up happening was we were in our little, you know, in our little den where we worked. We were there for a month um, just shooting, like, every day. And he came over and talked to us because we had the Red Epic. Oh. And, like, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget that moment because it turned out his family had been in, you know, in Hollywood for a couple of generations and, you know, had owned studios and there were all sorts, you know, told us all these incredible stories. And I still remember standing there going, if we didn't have that camera, that moment never would have happened. Like, it was only because we had that thing that demonstrated that we take what we do very seriously. Absolutely that he then came and, you know, told us those stories and like, I, I and that, that sort of stuff continued to happen. Um, and again, you know, you, you create the opportunities, but I, I ended up going over and, you know, making friends with people at Red and I would fly over each year and I'd go over. Um, there's a, a so that's a, in the States, right? Yeah. In, in Los Angeles, they're based. Um, so at Paramount Studios every year, there is a, yeah, really big event, uh, Cine Gear, right, which if you've yeah, never yeah. been to it before, I highly recommend. And, you know, I'd fly over there and, you know, I got invited to like Red's private party at Red Studios and, you know, the big cheese there, Jared Land, like the man's a, you know, the man's incredible. And I'd seen videos of it before. He's like out in the car park at night setting off fireworks and I'm like, <laughs> man, I would love to be there. And like I've now been to that a couple of times and, you know, I've made friends in the company that, you know, gone on and I've hosted them when they've come over here to Australia. And But again, like I just inserted myself into yeah. this. I just went, oh, I'll turn up and say good day. And, you See know, how it goes. It's crazy what happens. Um, and... I don't know, like all, all these little things where you've just sort of gone up, oh, bugger it, and see what happens, ha have become, you know, really life-changing moments. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, it's allowed me to do stuff, you know, to the point where, you know, our work is now rolled out internationally, like one of our campaigns is rolling out in the United States at the moment. Like, you know, we get to do the chance to do crazy stuff. And, like, Jason's worked with me on a heap of things. You know, yeah. we worked with, um, you know, His Excellency, the gov Governor of Queensland. Um, you know, I looked after their media management for six years. And, you know, we're currently working, you know, on it's an entire new, you know, an entire suburb, North Harbour up on, you know, some of the things that we get to do are just, you know, just phenomenal. And I'm, yeah. I'm always so grateful that people let us tell their story. Like, I find that to be a real privilege because there's a lot of people that do what we do, you know, and more so today than back then. Back yeah. then. Like, there's a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, to be given the opportunity to make stuff for a business where they pay you to do the thing that you like to do, like, that's really special. And that has never stopped being special for me because it took so long for it to happen. Like, you know, my business is now 14 years old. And, you know, mate, that's a long time. Yeah. And it's, you know, every time someone gives you a chance, you know, you've really got to try and, you know, give them absolutely everything. And I guess that's sort of been all I've done all the time. And it doesn't matter if it's a one-person company or Disney. I, I work at the same level for them to give them you know, the very best of what we're capable of. So they turn around and they go, well, what a great experience and what a nice thing we've got. Yeah, and I feel like that. that right there is like the definition of passion. Yeah. Like, you're passionate about it. Mate, there's nothing else I'd rather do. Yeah. And this is the problem. And like, you know, I'll be honest with you, some days I shake my head <laughs> <Yeah>. and I just, <laughs> I, I really truly wonder why I chose this life for myself. <laughs> um, and look, I, I think if you're a creative person, I think you're always going to have those, those days. days. Yeah. Um, you know. Some days you're the uh, statue and some days you're the pigeon. Um, and I don't know, like as, as I go further in it, because, you know, all I wanted to do for so many years was to be acknowledged as somebody that, you know, partially knew what they were doing. And the thing is, is now that I've sort of done all that, I'm not really worried about it anymore. Like I don't really care. Yeah. And what's funny is I'm actually surprisingly inspired by what you guys do. And, you know, in particular, having worked with Jason now for quite some time, yeah. he is quite a big inspiration to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he has encouraged me. I, I started a YouTube channel yeah, you you in January. I now have 210 subs. Yeah, um, So, you know, was up. Um, yeah. You know, 638 watched hours. Um, <laughs> man, I didn't realize how much work it is. Yeah. Like, how hard is running a YouTube channel? Oh like, how hard is making shorts? How hard is doing this? And I, I think that's the thing that I've actually come to really appreciate was, you know, I look at a YouTube channel, I'm like, oh, they've got a million views. Can't believe it. You like post a video and get a million views. Yeah. It's really disheartening when you post a video and you're like... 36 views. 36? <laughs> stop showing off. <laughs> like four. And I'm like, thanks, mom. Uh, you know. It, I've, I've got a YouTube and I don't, like, I don't go on. I think I've made maybe like four videos. And there's like, think there's 178 Wait, you got a YouTube? Yeah, I do. I'm going to check this out. There's uh, my this. shoe cleaning thing on there. Shoe cleaning? Yeah. Because no, everyone asks, how do you get your shoes so white? Oh, for the feet people. <laughs> and see, exactly. that'll, that'll end up getting half a million views. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm disgusted at how hard it is. Oh, it's so hard. And what's been really crazy is like, I now own, like I have so much gear, you know, yeah. it's a real problem. I've actually stopped <laughs> buying gear because, you know, your gear acquisition syndrome. You've got, you've got to reach a point where you go, that's, it's enough. <laughs> 
And what I've done Do now is no, 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 I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm fully tapped out. Hey, I am fully tapped out. Um, I'm I'm now shooting everything on my phone, and like yeah, I've right. built you know a dodgy little Amazon rig for like under a hundred bucks, and it's got you know the road mic and the handle and you know little little light that I paid twenty bucks for, and that is like my new favourite bit of gear. So like I've got my red camera there sitting collecting dust because like it's you know. It, it, it's the best, but like you get 40 minutes out of the battery. You've got, yeah. you know, you're shooting half a terabyte every 40 minutes. Like it is an exponential, like if you, you roll it out on your big projects, yeah. but like, man. Social content. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> so like I'm even shooting, you know, some of my commercial work, like some of the race car stuff I do now, I work with, um, uh, uh I work with a race series, um, TCR Australia, yep. and um, uh, Forza Brakes Motorsport is the, the race team that I work for, and they campaign. So it's an Audi RS3 LMS, which is a factory Audi wide-body race car. Delicious. It's the best. Because, um, like, you know, I stepped out of motor racing for five or six years. My boy's now seven, and I'm like, can I go playing race cars again? <laughs> and my wife's like, yes, okay. Like, she's she's... Way too supportive. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to the boss. Uh, couldn't do any of it without her. I'll be honest with you. Um, but like you know, we're going to Bathurst next month. I'm going to shoot all of that on my phone. Yeah, right. And, you know, I do all our live streams on the phone. So I'm there with the race driver, and you know, we'll start in the race truck and we'll go through and just do it all on the phone. Yeah. Because you push record, it's going straight to the internet. I've got the little road mic on the side. Yeah. Man, it's so easy. Perfect. Like no editing. No premiere crashing. <laughs> How good's resolve? Um, like, I've, I've really enjoyed the banter around all of these. Yeah. Some of the yeah. episodes. Like, I'm, I, I'm premiere for years, like commercially premiere, but like for me, resolve is yeah. like. Yeah, I'm learning it's king. it. It's yeah. Mate, it's the king. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, Premiere, but like, mate, if you could stop crashing, like, oh, honestly, I just want to punch myself in the face. For, yeah, the yeah. amount you pay for it and it's just constantly crashing. <sighs> and then when you get jobs, like, they're like, we need same day turnaround. Yeah. And you're just like, well, yeah. and you're there looking About at blue that. screen of death. And yeah. You know, like we've had projects crash. Yeah. Like they were on deadline and we're like exporting it and it's crashed, nuked everything. And like, mate, you are in tears at mm. the desk at 11 o'clock at night starting a project from scratch. Oh, I'm looking at plane flights to get myself out of here. <laughs> oh, man. Whereas yeah, I, I must hectic. say I've, I've never had that with Resolve. Yeah. And that's the thing because, you know, I'm Photoshop, Lightroom, like all those tools are, you know, rock solid. Yeah. But, man, there's something in Premiere that just you know, makes me want to stab myself yeah. in the eye with a fork. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry, Adobe, I'd, you know, love your support as well. But, like, mate, it just, it sucks. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, I don't ever hear anything different. And yeah. So, yeah, mate. <laughs> The way to fix that problem is to not use any editing software whatsoever. It's like, man, live, one take. One take, straight to the internet, boom, doesn't matter. Just gone. You know, 90% today is better than 100% tomorrow. Just get that thing out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's my new, you know, that's my renaissance is uh, I've, I've gone all the way. Like I've gone from, you know, from nothing to making big things all the way back to like simple it's it's like shooting with the handy cam like full circle full circle yeah. right? full circle so that's that's my renaissance so yeah it's such a story yeah. right it's it's uh we'll yeah. let you take the reins on that one yeah wow. it's a it's, it's a hell of a story yeah 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 wow so where where do you see yourself in the future then mate 
Uh, the iPhone 14 I, Pro. I'd love, <laughs> mate, I, I'd love to have an audience the size of Jason's. So yeah. I'm, I'm just going to keep watching what he does. I'm just following you guys. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, my thoughts have always been is if you want to be good at something, look at somebody who's already doing it yeah. and copy that. Yeah. So It's the blueprint. Mate, it's the blueprint. Exactly. So I literally just, you know. And, you know, for example, like, obviously I've been following your stuff since you've started here, yeah. but, you know, I've been following Jason for a bit longer and I'm just straight up copying what he does. Yeah. And I listen to yeah, him. Yeah, I don't feel like I post anymore just because I, I want to post travel content and I'm not traveling, so I just don't post. <laughs> and, and see, that's, and, you know, Jason will tell you that's the failure. Yeah. Like every day, just post, 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 post because you'll pump the algorithm towards you. Yeah. And, you know, and I've done the same thing where, you know, I've got, and, you know, you'll note my... Uh, subtle product placement living the dream in in this yeah this is sort of my this is this is my creative outlet let's call it um because what i do now like so much of the stuff i do is actually like really professional yeah um whereas like i'm a giant child stuck in a man's body (laughs) um so i sort of needed somewhere that i could just do all the dumb stuff that i wanted to do and that's what that project is is that's just a place for me to do whatever i want that isn't aligned, you know, directly with my business and, you know, the corporate image of what we present, which I like to, you know, playful and silly, but like hyper-professional. Yeah. Um, Whereas, you know, this is just me just being stupid and (laughs) making videos and going out with my (laughs) mates and like forward driving and going sideways and doing donuts and just, you know, like just, yeah. Yeah. Just having fun with it. Being normal. And then you'll get the people to be like, so do you actually do any professional work? (laughs) (laughs) Did he play with this plastic yeah, look, I do, you know, actually, I think it's my wife that asked me that. She's like, mate, do you ever do any work? And I'm like, oh, I swear to you, I actually work very hard. Uh, what do you What do you call yourself? Because oh, this is a tough one for you, definitely. Mate, that's why I'm the colouring in guy. <laughs> I, I figured that out ages ago. Da Vinci, just call yourself yeah, Mr. Da Vinci. Yeah, mate, I'm, I'm the colouring in guy uh, with the Crayola. Look, on... On bigger projects we do, I lean towards, and I, I had to look it up on Wikipedia because I'm like, I actually wasn't sure what I did. And again, having not been to film school, I wasn't really sure of the title. So I'm there going. I press a button. And I'm there on Wikipedia looking it up and I'm like, I'm an executive producer. Done. Yeah, nice. I, I am a person behind the scenes that brings a team together yeah. and gets it done. Like, you know, I bring the work in. I do the, you know, negotiations. I put a crew together, I select the director, the cinematographer. Like, I, I build the whole thing. Yeah. And again, you know, people can feel free to correct me, but, you know, Wikipedia told me that that's kind of what the job is. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, right. a, that's yeah. a sweet job. That's correct. I'm yeah. like, all you do is just stand in the back. And, like, I, I've, I've joked that if I'm doing that job, like that executive producer role, if I'm doing that correctly, I'm actually not doing anything. Yeah, right. So on a shoot day, if I'm doing nothing... that's it that's ep that's good um because you know my big thing on and particularly on the big sets that i run is i tell all my crew i'm like mate i don't care if the building is on fire and i mean like flames behind you you walk over to me very quietly and you go scott the building is on fire we are actually going to have to evacuate and go okay we'll deal with that (laughs) and and, you know very calmly very politely i'll then walk over the client yeah the building is actually on fire we will actually need to evacuate because you know you set the tone and you control yeah. You know, and if you're frantic and panicked, <laughs> you know, your your crew will be frantic and panicked. And <laughs> and that's the role I probably enjoy the most is I like you know, I like people. I like 
building the relationship. I like building the work. I like building the concept. Yeah. I love sitting down with somebody and they're like, look, I've got this idea. And I'm like, well, hang on, what if we did this? And like, just throw them some like super dumb idea. One of the best <laughs> ones I ever did was I did a job uh, with a company um, who does ceramic coating. Um, and they said to me, they said, look, we've got a McLaren GT3 race car. Um, we'd like to film a piece with this at the racetrack. And the very first thing I said to them, and yeah, this is a $400,000, $500,000 race car. I said, what are the odds that we could rip a skid in that car? <laughs> that was like the first thing I said, because I, I just want to see a McLaren race car do a massive burnout. <laughs> and, you know, again, after looking at me going, what is wrong with this bloke? They went, look, if we got an old set of tires and we did this and we changed a few of the settings, yeah, I reckon we could do that. So I actually got a McLaren GT3 car at Queensland Raceway to do a big number 11 down oh, the main street. Wow. And like I was there behind the car with the red camera shooting off speed, so shooting a high frame rate of this thing just smoking up. So good. <laughs> that's cool. That's, that's what I like about my job that's is that I just come up with dumb ideas and then I figure out how to do them. <laughs> and, you know, quite often they work out and yeah. they end up being pretty yeah. cool. And, you know, your clients end up then going, oh, that actually is really great and it's lovely being able to add you know what i often refer to as a dash of stupidity but you know <laughs> you, you do it in a very professional you know, way. very professional manner <laughs> yeah. but you know like super out there like who says let's rip a skin but what you do is very very good it's mm. it's so hard because I, I hate people. I'm on the opposite end. I can't talk to people. Whereas I see you on the jobs and you're just talking to people like it's no tomorrow. It's so easy. It's so basic for you. It's just, it's on another level. Yeah. And then even interviewing, this guy is like the best interviewer really? ever. Just to get someone out of the shell and yeah. talk normally is obviously a hard thing when you're interviewing. And you yeah. just make it look so easy. And that's something, again, that's a skill that I've developed um, because, you know, I'd be obviously interviewing them because we'd have like two person teams it'd be yep. me and you know my cinematographer and i'm like oh well i'm the producer the director i'm the grip i'm the lighting guy i'm the, you know I'm, I'm doing everything i'm taping down the lines like you name it um i can do it but what i discovered was if you can't make people feel comfortable you get shitty answers and it just all takes longer yeah it shows through their facial expression it, it really does and you know the biggest things i've learned is you know to try and make people feel calm you know, spend time talking to them beforehand and, you know, just because people are anxious. Like think about yeah. how anxious I was. <laughs> yeah. and I said, like, I know what we're doing here. I do this for a living, but I'm still, you know, <laughs> pent up about it. And so I take the time to, you know, just, you know, allow people to feel calm. And then, you know, people obviously, um, you know, they, they feed off your enthusiasm. So, yeah. you know, if you're not enthused, how on earth... Can you expect them to be enthused? Yeah, imagine rocking up to the show and be like, hi. Yeah. Like, Fuck that. <laughs> so tell me about what you do. Yeah, what do you want to shoot? <laughs> like, oh my God, can Whereas you like, imagine? Mate, love what you do. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me? Can you tell me a bit more about it? Like, what do you do? Like, And yeah. really, you know, really get into it. And probably, you know, I do overanimate for that. But that's part of that role. And yeah. again, this is you me. You just go home and recharge your social battery after that. Oh, mate, I need to have a sleep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because it does. It takes a lot out of you like yeah. it, it, it is an act like yeah. it is a performance the same as anything else when, yeah you know that's not my normal function that's <laughs> all right we're going to give it everything yeah and you know that does that right, that drains the battery like a red yeah, camera that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> 98 what hour i got 40 minutes in me and then <laughs> it's over 
That's me going to social events. I'll go to an event and I sit in the car for a good 20 minutes before getting out of the car. Right. Yeah, I will sit there. It's like a ritual. I'll sit, even when I get home, I'll sit in the car for 20 minutes before I get yeah. out. And then, like, I'll go out into the social event, be chatty, get in the car, and be like, oh my fucking God, I'm mm. dead. Like, that is self care. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I need, and then, like, people be like, you want to catch up? I'm like, absolutely not. No. I need to be away from people. Yeah. <laughs> introvert things. Yeah. Uh, mate, introvert things. Like, I love my own company. Oh, same. Mate, I, I can sit in silence for days. Yeah. And, you know, can and will. I love having my phone on Do Not Disturb all day. Same. I had it on Do Not Disturb the other week. Absolutely. Day, my my love phone it. lives on Do Not Disturb, yeah. and I'm sure it's very annoying for people trying to get in contact with me. Yeah. And <laughs> it's not that I don't want to talk to them, it's that I can't. Yeah. I physically can't. Like, with the... You know, there's something with creative minds and, you know, I'm spending a lot of time learning more about this more recently. But, you know, with creative minds, we are giving every ounce of our brain function to that task. Yeah. And, you know, if you've read any of the literature around it, like when you are interrupted, how long it takes you to come back to a task. Yes. Like, you know, there is math that says it's somewhere around 20 to 30 minutes once you have been interrupted and to then come back. And if you're trying to edit on deadline... Mate, you need absolute silence, you need some music, you need some headphones, like yeah. whatever your process is, but you do not want to be interrupted and like yeah. you have a sign on the back of your chair that says, you know, do not do, do not, not talk touch, to me. Do not breathe on me, do not come <laughs> anywhere near me. No, don't don't come near me. Yeah. And, you know, I've I've just found that, you know, these are the creative traits. And, you know, I'm actually discovering I'm going through a huge process of self discovery at the moment. I'm discovering that, you know, what am I, nearly 42, that I'm actually ADHD. And yeah, right. all of these things are actually now making perfect sense. <laughs> you know, like the hyper-focus and the, the, there's a whole thing around, you know, the, the level of irresponsibility and the, yeah. you know, all the, all of these characteristics that have actually made me quite successful yeah. in this are actually related to a very specific diagnosis. And I'm starting to come to understand all of these things and I'm coming to understand like the, you know, some of the... Uh, some of the function and dysfunction yeah. associated with it. And, you know, like all of it, all of it is, a, you know, we're all a little bit one way or the other. Um, but it's very weird to be reflecting back on a couple of decades of adulthood and now seeing all this stuff, you know, through a much clearer lens of understanding, going, wow, that's why I yeah. am yeah. so extreme in these things, like so hyper-focused. Like when I decide that, you know, I'm going to do this, like, good luck, you know, get yeah. out of my way. You yeah. know, I, I will go through you. Yeah, good luck trying to stop me. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you won't. Yeah. Um, you know, no matter the cost, I will. God, maybe I have it. And, <laughs> but it's, it's, it, it's weird. Mm-hmm. And, and look, there certainly are creative traits that are linked to, you know, some of these things. Like yeah. the way our brain works is different. Um, because again, why would you do this to yourself? <laughs> like, you know, why would you choose this as a career? Yeah, why would I leave a stable income to be stressed every week? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I've seen you guys talk about this on, on the show, like where you're sort of saying, you know, you leave a 38-hour job to work 100 hours a week. And you're yeah. like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Good times. You're like, and how much money do I make this week? <laughs> not $10, an- not even No, that. not enough. <laughs> oh, good. Enough to pay the rent. <laughs> <sighs> Like, you know, there are, you know, there certainly are, you know, uh, there are characteristics that lean people towards this. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I, I'm discovering that I'm a beacon of most of those. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
So, no. but look, I, I also think that it's just very important. And, you know, I'll certainly say this out loud to anybody that's listening that is, you know, creative and those sorts of things and struggles with, you know, any, any, any sort of, you know, emotional roller coaster that you might ride on is that like, you've got to be real kind to yourself. Mm. And I wasn't kind to myself for yeah. a very long time. Like I, I ended up having a total mental breakdown, you know, somewhere around 2018 because I just pushed yeah. and, you know, that relentlessness and that, you know, that capacity to outwork anybody else. Like you might not be smarter than anybody else, but you can work harder than anybody else. And that works for a really long time right up until it doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to be very careful and you actually do have to take time to look after yourself, be kind to yourself, allow yourself to rest, allow yourself to have down days, mm. allow your creative journey to falter, change direction. You know, it, it's a really emotional job that we do because you're really putting yourself out there. Like when you shoot and edit something and then send it to somebody to be judged and then they come back and go, Stressful. and go, mate, that's shit. Like, mate, it burns. Yeah. Like, it really, really burns. It's hard not to take it to heart because it's something that you enjoy so much and that you're passionate about. Yeah. It's it's literally you too hard. Yeah, for sure. I definitely feel like that. Like, this week I was saying to Jason, like, I feel very burnt out. But at the moment, I just feel like I'm in fight or flight mode. Yeah. I've just got so much that I want to do, that I need to do for a job. And I'm just, I've got all these different things i got to edit. Like, three or four galleries i got to edit before. Yeah. This day, and then like someone, I was saying to him, someone wants to take me on a date, and I sort of want to cancel because I'm like, I really want to get my work done, and it's sort of taking a toll on my social life, which in a sense I don't necessarily mind at the moment, just because I'm so, I care so much about my work and yeah. what the companies are thinking of me. Like they're paying me well to do mm. this job, and I want to do it even better than what they're paying me. Like I and, just and care you do. so much. But my advice to you as somebody <laughs> that has been through this, yeah, hit me. Learn from someone that has done it wrong. Yeah. And, mate, go on the date. Yeah. Stay, I mean, Stay yeah. in bed for a bit longer, read yeah. a book, stare at the sky. Yeah. Go for a swim. Like, you cannot operate at your peak yeah. when you are cooked. Yeah. You can oh, force yeah. it. Like yeah. You can, you know, caffeine, you know, yeah. whatever else, you, you know, you can take you know one of my favorite things i used to edit like really late into the night like a few rum and cokes bit of music <laughs> and like mate i'm just there you know banging away editing photos for like six hours and yeah you know because i've done stuff for you know blogs and magazines and so i'd have to write and produce all this stuff yeah and the only time i would have was late at night and like that's great but then you've had like three or four hours of bad sleep and yeah then you try and work some more and see like, my sleep is one thing i prioritize over everything well that's good. never used to like yeah. i used to be up till 7 a.m editing and have a job done for the next day like i would stay up all night till 7 a.m as in work through the night yeah Holy i would fuck. go to bed it was for a youtube video so i was like she's like i need it by tomorrow and yeah. i was like all right well it's like 6 p.m here I'll edit out a 30-minute YouTube yeah. and it takes me seven hours to do and then I would go to bed and then That was from Morgan, Morgan's channel, was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. true, true. Like, uh, she never asked me to stay up or do anything like that. It was no. just like... 
But that's the problem. Is that's what it takes. And yeah. and I think that something that as creators we need to be conscious of is tell people yeah. what it takes. Yeah. And I used to regularly have to produce work through the night because we would shoot something, you know, 10 mm. o'clock at night and it'd have to be on sunrise. So it'd have to be ready by 5am the next day. So you like, you literally work through the night and yep. you got to do another full day's work. Yeah. And like, it just kills you. Whereas now I will charge like double overtime. Yeah. Like if you, if it has to be done through the night, there is a cost associated yeah, with that. Yeah. That's what I do. I charge a deadline. Yeah. They're like, I need it by the next day. I'm like, all right, well, it's going to be yeah. more expensive. Because you cannot... Like you can't, like you have to educate your client mm -hmm. on how much goes in to that work yeah. and how much it takes. You know, it, yeah. you don't just click your fingers. It's not an automatic <laughs> exercise. And, and people that don't work in this have no concept and, you know, nor should they. It's not their job. Yeah. But we have to educate people to go, look, this is a reasonable time frame. This is an unreasonable time frame. Yeah. If you want it done in an unreasonable time frame, here is what it will cost. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like they hire you on for a job and they just see you the time there that you're shooting. But Correct. they don't see what goes on like the behind. Work. Yeah. No. Yeah. They don't and see you on the computer for 12 hours editing. They they don't and they don't oh, see the Just prep. looking for music in general yeah. for 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they don't see the charging and the yeah. preparation and the, you know, kidding your gear out. And, yeah. You know, there's quite often three or four hours in prepping your the equipment gear, before yeah. you start. And, and they're things that, again, you know, as you get more confident in you know, your services, Yeah. that, you know, there is a pre-prod, there is a, you know, there, there are phases to the work that you do. And, you know, again, depending on the scale of the project, like some of the projects don't require it. Yeah. But, you know, being mindful of those and, and taking the time to, to share with your clients to go, look, this is what's involved, telling them up front, here's how long each of those phases will take. Yeah. You know, just so that they've got... An idea. Yeah, got an understanding. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Um, I got an interesting question and Please. it revolves me. <laughs> <laughs> Far away. But uh, when I was at uni, I had to, in one of my subjects, it was reach out to a company. And obviously, we know where this is going. Um, and uh, I got all sevens in that one, so I smashed that. <laughs> but part of the project was like um, reach out to brands, reach out to companies and try and get some work experience or get some work, you know. And it really cracked me down on getting a showreel and stuff and really just trying to get myself out in the professional world. Do you have advice for anyone to reach out to companies like yourself? And obviously, that's what I did with you guys. And for some reason, you clicked on my email and replied to me. I did because <laughs> I I always do. Um, and, and, you know, I... I do the same thing. I've reached out to big companies over the years and production companies and things and, you know, they just ignored me. And, you know, I would e email the owner or, you know, because I know of them or know them through and say, hey, such and such. And, like, they just just dog you. And, look, that's fair enough. Some people are busy, stuff going on. But, you know, that rejection is, you know, a tough part of the process. I remember looking at your work and I also remember I asked about you because I know, obviously, some of the people that work for me uh, were also your... Tutors, lecturers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So gotcha. you know, I've I've got a good little network where I researched you, I looked you up, and this is you know I'll do this for anyone I ever work with or anyone I bring in because obviously, as you know, some of the work that we that I do, you know, requires decorum, discretion, like professionalism, like it's not stuff, you know, you don't just welcome anybody in. Um, so I researched everything about you on the internet. So Scary. I looked up, yeah, no, 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 but like this, but this is what people will do. 
you know, I, I, I promise you, anybody that takes this role seriously. You have to, yes. Um, Do the they, research. Yep, they will look at your socials. They will look at your website. They will look at everything they do that you do. They will look at the work you produce, not just the work that you send. Yeah. Because I always go pretty deep on people that I'm, you know, looking at. Um, so I sort of try and go back and look at all the things that they've done. And, you know, I found all the work that you did and the work that you did as a PT and the work that you did and your family and all the things. And I went, and I, and I went, there's a lot of markers here that indicate that, you know, he could be a good fit, um, you know, in the sense of, you know, some of the experience and some of the life experience, you know, even though you didn't necessarily have the commercial experience, um, you, you had a, a, like the soft skills um, that, you know, people talk about where, you know, you had that experience and, you know, you'd invested in the gear, which means that, you know, you back yourself, you believe, you know, you'd, you'd gone pretty hard into all of that. And then the next thing um, is, you know, when I'd sort of looked at all that and gone, you know, that all looks okay. Um, you know, you came in for a meeting with me and, and, you know, I remember that and I remember talking to you at that and sort of, you know, I would have laid out, you know, my expectations and those sorts of things. And really all I'm doing there is I'm judging the vibe. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. would I be comfortable having you in the same room as, mm -hmm. you know, the premier, the boss of Disney, you know, the governor of Queensland? Like, would I be happy for you to be representing my company? Mm -hmm. You know, is there a chance that you will embarrass me? Is there a chance that you will do the wrong thing? Is there a chance that you will speak out of turn? Is there a chance that you will speak rudely? Yeah. Because if you do any of those things, yeah. and I've had, I've had people, like I've had people who've, you know, blown up on set and yelled and done things and right. like, mate, like there's no second chances. You'd never work for me again. Mm. Yeah. Like, and, and I don't. Because it does, it reflects back on your business. And it makes me look like an idiot. Yeah. Because people go, well, why did you hire, you know, this, this moron? Yeah. And, you know, I, it sounds harsh, but like nobody will give me a second chance. Like if I cock it up, done, game over. You never get yeah. work with that client again. So, you know, I take those things very, very, very seriously. Mm. And, you know, then when I start bringing somebody in, I'll, I'll put them in on what I would consider a lower risk project. Yeah. You know, where I know the client quite well, you know, we've got a good working relationship and I can sort of say, oh, look, you've never met this person before, but, you know, here's Jason. I think he's a good dude. I think he's doing really good, really good work. And then we go from there. Because you can teach skills, but you can't teach attitude. Yeah. And that was the thing that I got when I met Jason. I'm like, what a legend. I'm like, you know, good guy, presents well, speaks well, you know, turns up, you know, dressed neatly. And again, you know, I look like a hobo most days. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of like thongs and Kmart. Um, but it's that capacity to hold yourself um, you know, in a professional context and and then obviously, and it's quite funny that I consider that over and above your skills. I don't care how good a shooter you are. If your attitude is shit, you'll never work for me. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the end. You know, if you are, you know, arrogant, self-serving, narcissistic, any of those sorts of things, like if you are not, you know, a good, kind, creative person, you'll never get a run with me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, fair. Because I, I, can, I can teach you how to be a better shooter. I can teach you how to work the way I like a crew to work. And, you know, I've, I've watched that with Jason as he's done things, you know, over the years where I've gone, 
mate, you probably should have thought of that. And then I've been super impressed when the next time he turns up, he has actually changed that thing and he has learnt from the mistake. And, and, and again, it's not me being a smart ass. It's just me going, look, I've done this lots of times. I've made all the mistakes. Yeah. I know that if you do it this way, it will be less likely to go bad. If you do it that way, it is more likely to go bad. Yeah. So, you know, do whatever you want, but I'd suggest, you know, less likely to go bad is probably a good way. Go this way. <laughs> just, you know. And you say you don't give into peer pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's just learning. Yeah, but that's, that's not peer pressure, that's the job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, either do it or you don't get invited yeah. back. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, you just see, and, you know, I've watched Jason, you know, like obviously with what he does in his world, mate, he's light years beyond me. <laughs> you know, with what you do as a content creator, like, you absolutely, you know, run rings around me as a, you know, social yeah. content creator. But, you know, where I've found my skill is as a commercial content creator. Yeah. And, you know, they're the things that I've found that my clients appreciate is they appreciate the professionalism and the decorum and the, you know, the capacity to be in a room and, you know, to be able to hold yourself well. Yeah. Mm. And so I hope that helps. Hey, we've got a bit of scratchy <laughs> mic here, so we'll just do some R&D. One of, the, one of these chords has given us some grief. Well, that's some of the big things that they don't teach in university, and that's a massive thing in the industry. Is Which that, surprises me. Yeah. Griffith University, if you're listening, yeah. I'm, I'm one of the people you didn't invite in that can come and talk to you about how to uh, get yourself further. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was thanks to that course that literally you know, led me to you. But I guess it's thanks to life lessons and years of PT and talking to people is, and me being an introvert, it's hard to talk mm -hmm. to people. Totally. Yeah, but obviously it's not hard to just answer questions and just be honest. Correct. As well. and, and I think that that PT stuff that you did, you know, I did a lot of years coaching myself and that was one of the skills that I had to learn was you had to be able to present to people that were, you know, quite often older or more senior than yourself. Yeah. Mm but you had to learn to deliver to them with confidence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, that was something that I saw in Jason. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. the biggest advice is learn personal skills. Mate, the interpersonal skills are so important. Mm. You know, you can be the best, most technically accurate, mm -hmm. you know, cinematographer you can be, um, but if you're shitty with people, you're going to have a hard time. Mm. Yeah. You know, you'll need a director or a producer or somebody that backs you that will have to take you on the journey. I'd love one of those. Well, listen. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've, you've kind of got one, mate. Um, I'll do all the camera shit. <laughs> yeah, you, you keep doing all that and, you know, and, and mate, we'll do a lot of things together. So, Beauty, let's wind down with a couple of last questions. Um, we've already, you know, done the whole advice thing but um fails yes have you got any really good fail stories just, uh, they're my favorite it's all right <laughs> here's my first fail story and i think that you need to hear this okay um when i first was working as like a, a motorsport journalist i was on my first international assignment at the time I'd, I'd made friends with a guy who was the editor of fast force and rotaries magazine yeah and at that time, like getting the idea of getting my work printed in a magazine, like in a car magazine that I'd grown up reading, I couldn't imagine a bigger, a bigger win. Like yeah. to me, that was the pinnacle of existence. And I had managed to 
you know, convince him to let me shoot for the magazine. They were actually even paying me for it. Yeah. Um, which was astonishing. I had one camera. <laughs> I, I had a 1D Mark II. You know what? I bought two and I thought I was going to get out of this. Just. Just. I thought this peer was pressure. done. <laughs> Good peer pressure. Mate. So I was on my very first international assignment. <laughs> I was in another country. I was in, I think I was in Malaysia. Um, shooting for fast fours and rotaries. Like, you know, I've never felt like more of a kingpin. Um, you know, got my media vest on, you know, I'm like flying overseas and working with it. You know, like I just thought, you know, I'm like, I'm the man. I've, I've done, made I, it. I, I, I've, made, <laughs> I've made it. And first day of shooting, first day of competition, you know, one of the Japanese drivers is there and shooting away. And like then this line comes across my camera. I'm like, oh, that's weird. And then I shut it again and then the shutter jammed. And there's this thing called shutter drop that I now know about where basically the shutter has imploded. Oh. Fuck. I am in another country. I'm oh. in Malaysia. I don't know anybody. In the middle of a job too. In the middle of a job, in the middle of an event. And like when the event's over, it's over. Yeah. Like, it's you like a wedding. No redos. can't go back and reshoot it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm there going... Oh, good. <laughs> good. And like day one, like day one. And I'm like, oh, my God. And that that's probably like, you know, I've got tons of failure stories. Um, <laughs> but like that is one that stands out in my mind as like one of the most crippling where you're like, <laughs> you, you finally feel like you're leveling up. Yeah. And then your gear explodes. And, like, you can't do anything. Like, there was no mobile phone. There was no nothing. Like, you just, yeah. it was stop. And I ended up making friends with, um, you know, one of the other media guys. I was just talking to other dudes that had cameras. And I'm like, hi, my camera's <laughs> broken. I need to, like, beg, borrow, steal, hire. I'm like, mate, anything you can do. And, like, one of the dudes was kind enough to hire me a 1D Mark Four. I think it was at the time. Yeah. Um, body so that I was, and you know, I think I paid him a hundred bucks a day or something to, you know, to use his camera while I was over there. I don't think I've ever had a more brutal lesson yeah. than that. Like that. Well, I'm glad I haven't had that lesson before that, getting That hurt on. real bad. Yeah. Because like that <laughs> moment of absolute terror where you are looking at the thing across the screen going, that's not supposed to be there. <laughs> oh, God. That's quite bad. <gasps> He's so, always yeah. going to have a backup plan. <laughs> Mate. We all learn the hard way. Backup body. Because yeah. like on on big production jobs that I do now, so, you know, obviously most, you know, sometimes we shoot on, you know, the Alexas, but, you know, I tend to shoot on reds because that's obviously what i got. Yeah. Um, and I will have a complete mirror copy of whatever, you know, if we've got three reds on the job, I'll have another red built in a box you know, as part of, you know, obviously I use Lamac for, you know, all my big rental yeah. production work. I'll just have a camera just sitting there. Yeah. Because, like, if one explodes, if two explode, like, you've got another. And that was one of the biggest things I learned when I started doing a lot of international travel and a lot of stuff over in Europe was even when I was flying, I would have one. So I'd have, you know, my bag of gear, all my stuff go under. Yeah. In I would carry a laptop bag with me and in the laptop bag I would have one lens and one body so that even if all my gear was lost and ended up 
in another part of the planet, I could still do the job. Yeah. I could still execute the job. It wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't have, because, you know, I've got a 400 mm 2.8. I've got all the big stuff for shooting um, that sort of work. But I could still execute the job. Yeah. Because I would have a laptop, a body, and a lens on me anywhere I went. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. Yep. So, moral of the story... Backup camera. Two bodies. Yes, and that's what you got now. And that's what I have. Two bodies. Mate. We mate. finally pressured you. Yeah, dual <laughs> wielding because, you know, I shot a friend's wedding at some point. I remember, you know, camera hitting a buffer or hitting and, like, it just stopped working. Yeah. And it was like, and I never shoot weddings. If people ask me to shoot weddings, I tell oh, them, Oh, I yeah. run away. I'm like, no worries, mate, 20 grand. And then, <laughs> and then, and then that's the end of the conversation. Um, but, I'm going to start saying that. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it works every time. Yeah. Um, and if they say yes, you can just pay somebody else to do it and just stand yeah. there with them. Oh, yeah. Nice, yeah. nice. <laughs> I don't got this. <laughs> but like these were very dear friends and I, I did it to help them out. And, you know, like they're walking towards me. And again, they don't even know this. They're walking towards me, um, you know, and there's people throwing the flower petals yeah. in the air and like the camera jams. It's like that moment, like one of the critical <laughs> moments of the day. But again, having learnt from my lessons, I'm dual wielding and you throw one camera, you get your straps and you pull the other one up. Yeah. And, you know, you got two seconds of lost time. Yeah. As compared to catastrophic failure game over, which, yeah. you know, I know there are people who have experienced. I mean, like I had a pretty close experience at a friend's wedding is that I was filming the bride coming down the aisle and the camera just was frozen. It was on the gimbal. It was frozen. I literally just took the battery out, put it back in, and it started working. And I shot. Didn't learn from that clearly because I just still didn't go get another camera. <laughs> that was, I was your just point. Like, that's weird. That's the point. <laughs> oh, it's weird that it did that. And like, even if it's a crap budget, ten-year-old camera, like <laughs> right, that you've paid something. Like, mate, buy a like D ninety from nineteen ninety-seven. Now that I hear that, I'm like, wow. Go I the D ninety. That's yeah. my first camera. <laughs> Now that I hear that, I'm like, wow, I wonder why I didn't go think to get another one. Because oh, you, you hadn't been burned bad enough yet. <laughs> yeah. That's the turning point. I was yeah. like, ah, I still got it. You need the earth-shattering moment where the job collapses and then you see your whole professional life disintegrating in front of you where, you know, you are a total failure at what you do and everybody will know that you can't finish the job. Care. <laughs> yeah. Mate. Second hand. Mate, buy it second hand. Don't yeah. buy it new. Like, I, I'm all about... You know? Well, I was going to go buy the second one secondhand, but I ended up not doing that because I was like, oh, I can't really claim it back on tax. So I just went and bought it. Bought it brand new. Yeah. That's a good one, though. Yeah. Oh, seven's good. Yeah. Yeah, but if it costs you less money, think about how, how much yeah. faster you paid off. True. <laughs> and then when you do kill it, you're like, eh, doesn't matter. Yeah, true. True. Ah, well, awesome. that's uh, we've been chatting for a an hour and 25 minutes. Oh, you wow. smashed it. You're the biggest one yet. There you go. <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> and that's probably, that's a compressed version of your life, obviously. I, I could talk is. under wet cement. That's yeah. kind of, <laughs> and that's your talent. <laughs> that, that, and, like, that, that is the talent. That's yeah. why I have now, you know, I'm trying to do these things that Jason does. I'm trying yeah. to, you know, get into this sort of stuff because yeah. I'm like, oh, man, I got these things. I've just got to have the confidence to do it. Yep. Yeah, so, sure. again, I'm just copying what you guys do. <laughs> Uh, so where can we find you? Obviously, Living the Dream is one of your Mate, Instagrams. Your Living the Dream. Uh, you'll find me doing stupid things in a 1980s Land Cruiser on <laughs> that one. Um, if you want to see what I do uh, for real life, um, tpr.media um, and you know vimeo.com forward slash tprmedia is where we hide most of the things that we do. Um, because in the strangest sense, we actually don't publicize a lot of the stuff that we do. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the work that we do is you know, contracted and, you know, has to be done fairly quietly and 
Um, but, you know, there's a heap of stuff on our Vimeo in particular um, that, you know, sort of shows the breadth of the things that we do mm. from musical theatre to motorsport and everything in between. <laughs> everything. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, what's my other one? Um, at Scott Nelson underscore AU is my Instagram because, again, as an OG photographer, I've been on that <laughs> since about 2012. <laughs> so there's, Love it. There's a lot of stories on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Thanks for coming in. Absolute pleasure. Hey, guys, thank you for having me. It's been really awesome. It's been a good story. First podcast. First podcast. How do you feel? It's all done now. Hopefully not the last. Look, I actually really enjoyed this. It's nice. (laughs) It's just a good chat. Yeah. yeah. Like I I enjoy enjoy sharing the stuff, particularly with people that are, um, you know, a bit earlier in their career Mm. um, because, you know, I've... Wealth of knowledge. I've, I've done things probably the hardest way possible most of the time. Um, and, you know, I've learned some very brutal lessons. And, you know, I, I really enjoy, you know, sort of sharing some of the things that go, look, if you maybe, yeah, again, do this, not this, it might work out a bit better for you. Maybe if you get a second camera. Yeah. Like getting a second camera. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I really enjoy that. So, like, this has just yeah, it's a, been a really nice experience. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for coming on. Cool. Pleasure. All right, guys. So, well, that's pretty much the episode of Scott, and you can find him where he said TPR Media and uh, Instagram and all that kind of thing. And YouTube yeah. too. You can find him on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Living the dream. Mate, living the dream. <laughs> like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> Mate, I'm at two ten. I'll, uh, I'll give you a shout out. Like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, like, comment, oh, like yes. comment, and subscribe. Comment the gets the algorithm yeah. going as well. And do you want to know something crazy? My seven year old son. He just wants to be a YouTuber. Right. Most kids these days okay. do. Mate, he, because yeah. it's all he does. He yeah. like watches. Oh, the Mr. Ga- Beast. Like the gaming YouTube oh, stuff. Yep, yep, yep. And That's like bizarre. mad for it. Like yep. loves it. And he's like, Dad, can I have a YouTube? And his mum's like, absolutely not. And I'm like, <laughs> tell you what, Chief, I'll start, I'll start teaching you. And that's part of why I've got to get good at YouTube because my boy would like to do this. There so, yep. yeah. Yep. So good. There's a big future in all this. Mate, stuff. there is. Yeah. It's massive. Like this yep. is the future. Yep. YouTube's a platform that I don't think will ever fail. I don't. I don't think so. It's I don't see go it going anywhere because it's long form content and it's a it's a search platform too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But if you watch the hours that my boy consumes, yeah, and you know how much joy it brings him, and then how much he learns. Mm. Yeah. Um, the thing I've found fascinating is like you know he really enjoys Minecraft, and mm-hmm. so he'll watch people building, get ideas from that, and then go and do it himself. Yeah. And like that, it's a whole different. Yeah. Creative. Yeah, whole different style of stuff. Yeah. Wow. All right. Awesome. We'll uh, see you guys next time. Thanks for watching and listening. See you. Bye.